Well, welcome back to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Shauna David, and once again, we're back for our weekly look back at the women's game across the country and across the world. Coming up in this week's pod, it's Glory Glory Man United as they top the Women's Super League for the first time in their history. Robins are left red-faced as they concede eight, but should the game have gone ahead in the first place? Our Alex Morgan watch continues as she finally makes her first appearance for Tottenham. In the Championship, late drama sees Durham snatch a draw and stay top. And Babajide and Bailey Gale keep Leicester and Liverpool hot on their tails. Well, this week, joining me to look over everything is someone who's back after a little week off. It's former FA and Aston Villa media officer, Emily Lyles. Good to have you back, Emily. It's a pleasure to be back, Sean Ed. And also someone who had a week off last week, but he's back for more. It's journalist, broadcaster and commentator, Andrew Raven. Good to have you back as well, Andrew. Yep, not by popular demand. Don't be daft, of course. And finally, it's production coordinator and women's football fan and Cardiff fan, Liv Griffiths. Hello, Liv. Hello, Seanad. And and also um, joining us later on in the pod um, is freelance journalist Chris Pratt, who looked back um, on the championship fixture between Blackburn and London Bees. But guys, we've got... A lot to get through this week, but first we'll turn our focus to the WSL and what a weekend um, for good reasons and potentially bad reasons. We'll start off with the Manchester United versus Arsenal game. Now, Manchester, they go top of the league for the first time in their history. Ella Toon strike followed. Great work by Jess Sigsworth. Proved the difference in a fully deserved victory. And in terms of Arsenal, you know, they've scored 29 goals in their opening five WSL games, but they didn't really create much um, to worry the Man U defence, to worry the Man U goalkeeper. Um, Emily, I'll come to you first. You know, considering Man U were only founded Two two years or two years ago or so. Um, what an achievement is! Just how much of a big achievement is this for Casey Stoney? And you know she has to take a lot of credit um, for the hard work that she's done and for what they've achieved in a relatively short space of time. It's absolutely massive, isn't it, Sean? And and I have to agree with you there. I think there was a time for a while when certainly when they're in the championship and spent a lot more than than every other club in there and probably when they first came up to the Super League it was sort of like you know if they can be mid-table or in sort of the upper echelons of mid-table they've done well but I think now to be top of the league for the first time it's really really significant when you look at the teams around them very very established at this level full of internationals admittedly I know they have an, a number of good players themselves Man United but yeah I mean Casey Stoney still pretty young on in, in her managerial career as well. She, she's absolutely brilliant. And you have to think really for, for her long term, the world's her oyster, really. She, it's, it's just a brilliant achievement. And it's, it's certainly nice to see another name at the top of the league as well. Yeah, it definitely is. And Liv, I'll come to you for this one. I suppose it silences the critics maybe, because I think the, there's a tendency when you see big teams just all of a sudden create a women's team almost out of thin air, you know, Man U, um, Real Madrid, um, you know, have done something very similar. There's a bit of scepticism maybe, but it's not easy to get to the top of the league. You know, every every week is challenging in the WSL. So I think this goes to show that they've put in a lot of work and they're not just a team that's sort of been created 
randomly because Man United probably thought, oh gosh, we need to get a women's team together so that, you know, th that we look good and all that. You know, it goes to show that um, the work Man United women have put in is paying off. Yeah, it absolutely is, Shonad. Um, Kind of just to echo what Emily was saying, Casey Stoney has done a phenomenal job in the two years that she's been there. And I know we, we should look at the signings they've made and the players that they've attracted this season, but I'd like to point out that their goal came from two players who have been there since they were playing in the championship at the start. So, you know, you want to say it's by fluke or it's by buying the league, or I just don't necessarily think it is because, yes, you have these great players in Heath and Press coming in, but they literally, to the point, just press on those um, other teams to make them better. And I think the last few sort of weeks, Man United have really showed a solid togetherness. They haven't been distracted by the Chelsea's and, you know, Arsenal yesterday, I think Casey's probably telling them that you are just as good as the top four and you can be pressing them. Um, Arsenal were very disappointing. I think I touched on it a few weeks ago when we were talking about Miedemar. Um, These are the sort of games where those 50 goals need to be showing, not against the Bristols. Sorry, I got to stop picking on Bristol. <laughs> but um yeah, it's just, it's it's great to see. And I would really like to see, other than Chelsea now, um, I'd really like to see the other two, you know, Man United and Arsenal and Man City really push now. And um, yes, yeah, it's, it's open play. Anything can go. Andrew, it could have definitely been more press and Heath both missing really good chances in the game. Viv just mentioned Miedema there. They managed to keep her very quiet, didn't they? They did, yeah. And what's quite interesting, I think, is it's the first time that Arsenal haven't scored um, in a in a game for about a year, I think, since uh, a Conti Cup game with Brighton, um, when they would have rotated, I guess, anyway. The last time they drew a blank in the WSL was December of 2018. So that's that's, that's an achievement for, 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 for Manchester United, particularly. When you keep uh, Miedemar quiet, you're doing very well indeed. When you look at her goal-scoring record, obviously we've touched on that several times, and she's just basically, uh, recently... Uh, broken through that 50 goal mark um, what I would say in terms of just building on what the other two have said there it's with Manchester United there's a plan you can see that there's a plan um, you could see that there was a plan from the word go I know there was a lot of um, uh, sort of fuss made when they came into the championship and you know should this be allowed you know should a team just be able to get a, a license that easily because of their name etc cetera, etc cetera. but they've done it I think the right way um, and certainly now they're here, they will shake things up a bit. And yes, they've, like you said, the you know with with Ella Toon being already there, it's not just about the players they've brought in recently. But what I would say is that that Press and Heath, I think, have possibly given the others a lift and allowed them to believe that they can compete and this win will believe make them believe they can compete with with the the traditional sort of top three if you like um and i think as we've seen with funny enough with manchester united's men's team with bruno fernandez sometimes it only takes one or in this case two players to actually transform a team because really football is about partnerships it's about combination play um so sometimes one player and and you can see it the other way around you can take out a player through injury and suddenly the whole thing falls to pieces because even though the other players are obviously still what can do still do what they can do it's you're losing that integral part and you know i think certainly heath and press have added that star quality 
Um, but I think they've also given the existing players a bit of a lift. And you sometimes see that as well, don't you, in, in teams where they get, like teams down the bottom of leagues, get lone players in, and that can lift the game of, of those around them. So I think it's, it's, it's uh, they're important signings, more so than obviously Alex Morgan at Spurs. We'll come on to that. In terms of... Um... Arsenal guys, Emily, Joe Montemiro said after the game that United were the better side. Um, on the pod, we've praised Arsenal um, a lot since we've um, since we started this podcast. Obviously, they had the FA Cup um, slip up. You know, they're still second in the league um, at the moment. Where do we stand on Arsenal? Does it seem like they've sort of hit a bit of a bump in the road? No, I'll be honest. I think they'll be absolutely fine. I think. <sighs> It is. It's ultimately one game, I think, and and also they they're coming up against a very very good side, a team that's already drawn with Chelsea earlier on in the season. Um, but yeah, I think these results happen. If anything, it, it could it could benefit Arsenal, I think, because you often see that, don't you? There's a reaction to a defeat to a game that you perhaps didn't. I wouldn't necessarily say they didn't expect to lose because there would have been a respect there for Manchester United. But yeah, I, I think they will be absolutely fine long term um, for sure. Always positive, Emily. <laughs> Love it. Um, well, guys, we'll move on to the Manchester City-Bristol game now. This um, got quite a bit of media attention, um, basically to those listening who perhaps don't know the Robins, Bristol City, who are currently bottom of the league, um, still without a point, had five players missing um, on for Sunday's, uh, for Saturday's game, I should say, um, because of COVID protocols. So... Um, one player developed COVID-19 symptoms overnight and as a result of players living in shared housing, um, I think I'm right in saying it was five players in total for Bristol, um, had to self-isolate. Now, Bristol City boss Tanya Oxterby said that the game should not have been played. Bristol had put in a request for the game to be postponed. However, um, the FA said because the... COVID tests that they did earlier in the week came back negative that the game was able to go ahead. But despite, obviously, from, Brist- from Bristol's point of view, being five players down um, would have been a massive, massive blow. Manchester City boss Gareth Taylor said he didn't see a problem as the players, like I said, hadn't tested positive um, and only developed symptoms. Um, in the game, seven different scorers for City, including two for Ellen White and Lucy Bronze, getting her first goal since moving from Lyon. Um, Leif, I'll come to you. Where, do you. where do you stand on this? Because there's a part of me that feels sorry for Bristol because they would have been in a really tricky position. And, you know, I completely agree with Tanya Oxterby saying, you know, that game shouldn't have gone on. Is you know, half of their starting 11 missing. Yeah, you know what, guys? I'll be the first to admit that I'm not always on Bristol City's side when it comes to um, analysing them, but I was really, really gutted for them and really disappointed in the FA's decision. Um, it's well, it's all well and good, Gareth Taylor saying that he didn't see a problem, but I would have liked to have seen five-man City players out and see if he had the same reaction to that because um, I don't think he would have allowed his players to play either. On paper, this game was always going to be one-sided to Man City anyway. And that, for me, is the defining kind of nail in the coffin. I can't see a way back for them this season. I feel like they look, they're look they looking at like a team that's completely defeated. They have what's meant to be a league that's for all of the teams going against them. 
And um, all in all, I didn't enjoy watching it. You know, it's really disappointing because Ellen White should be celebrating her 50th. She's reached that milestone too. And it's marred by the controversy because, you know, the FA have just not had a good week when it comes all through the systems at the moment in the decisions they're making. So for me, it should have been voided. It should have been postponed like Villas was a couple of weeks ago. You know, Emily, it was always going to be an uphill struggle for Bristol City, um, wasn't it, regardless of the um, slight controversy around the fixture. Um, you know, like Liv said, they are struggling um, a lot this season and losing 8-1 to Man City, that's just, I feel, will dent their morale even more. No, 100% sure, Ned, and I think no one really wants to see those score lines, and unfortunately we've seen a few of them in the early part of the season already. And yeah, the the cause obviously not helped by the situation of having five players out, which is pretty significant, isn't it? Five players within your squad. That's that's a good chunk um, of, of players missing. So yeah, it was always going to be difficult. It proved to be that. Certainly, I'd say certainly in some small part due, due to circumstances beyond their control. But yeah, you don't want to see those score lines. And, and I know we've said this before, but I think that point applies again, that to grow the game, if you're looking at those results um, at the end of the weekend, it stands out, doesn't it? And OK, in some respects, it stands out as a great day for Man City, great attacking display. But most people look at the disparity and think, ah, OK. So, yeah, I think it, no one wants to see that. No one enjoys that. Yeah, Not a good weekend for Bristol. And of course, we wish... Um, their players a speedy recovery um, and hope that they're all feeling good and back on the pitch soon Um, well if we turn our focus on to next weekend two really exciting fixtures the first one being the Manchester Derby next Saturday lunchtime and that game is live on BT Sport and Arsenal face Chelsea on Sunday at 2.30 that game is also on BT. Andrew, the Manchester Derby next weekend, um, it's going to be a really special occasion, isn't it? Especially given Manchester United's position in the league at the moment. Yeah, I don't think uh, City would have expected to have uh, gone into that game five points behind their rivals and uh, with, uh, you know, uh, what was it, four places or something between the two sides as we as we speak. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a great uh, weekend for stop, as you touched upon, really. We've got um, four games on the on, on the Saturday, all staggered kickoffs. Um, the Arsenal-Chelsea game as well on, on, on the Sunday. So, uh, a great uh, women's football weekend ahead. Well, we'll turn our focus on to Everton. Emily, we know how good Everton have been this season. So, for Chelsea to do that and and to win by such um, a large scoreline to prevent Everton from scoring as well. Um, I think Emma Hayes will be very happy with that because they would have known very well before that game that Everton, you know, they're not a team to be taken lightly this season. No, 100%. I think it was certainly one of the more eye-catching results that that makes you stand up and think, oh, you know, that's an impressive display. And, you know, you look at sort of the goals that were scored, the team approach, different goal scorers. It, it's all looking really, really good for Chelsea and perhaps a little bit more like we're used to seeing them, I think. Penny Harder lives. She's really starting to settle in now, isn't she? Following um, her move from Wolfsburg in the summer. What have you sort of made of her, um, her progress and sort of what impression she's made on the WSL? Yeah, I mean, she scored a phenomenal goal in the dying seconds of that game to really 
um, show Everton what they were about. Uh, I think she's fitted into the squad really nicely. It's an interesting thing for Chelsea when you look at their bench and their attack. They just have so much depth to their squad. You know, Bethany England actually started this game and I know she hasn't really been starting ahead and has probably come in off the back of Kirby being injured. Um, but it just goes to show you what the, um, the, in terms of like the depth of the squad that Chelsea had compared to Everton. And I think Everton were struggling maybe with a bit of a Wembley hangover as well. You know, I think there would be a lot of disappointed girls this week and trying to turn your focus back onto the league. Uh, two of their best players are out injured. So, yeah, Harder was great. Chelsea were great. Um, a bit unfortunate for Everton to come up against them this weekend, I thought. Hmm. And Andrew, it's set up nicely, isn't it, for that clash against Arsenal next weekend? Yeah, it really is. Uh, I, and I'd, uh, I'd like to almost uh, bring a counterpoint into that as well, because obviously in terms of the Chelsea discussion about their attack, because obviously they have got goals from all over the place. You know, uh, you know, Beth England's got three from five now, Sam Kerr, three from five, Peniel Harder, two from five, Frank Kirby, three from four. But um, they've conceded just two goals in their first five games and they will. They are very strong defensively. And when you consider Arsenal got 29 goals in six games, I mean, effectively five games because, of course, they didn't score in the uh, in the game against Manchester United. It is going to be the uh, the irresistible force against the immovable object. So uh, uh, we'll have to see who breaks first. Definitely a big weekend in the WSL coming up next weekend. Um, talking about goals, one game that perhaps lacked some goals was the one-all draw um, between Tottenham and Reading. One-all draws, it sounds like it was quite a frustrating game for both sides both sides from what I read had plenty of chances um to go on and win the game Tottenham still looking um for their first win of the season but good news for Spurs fans ta-da Alex Morgan finally um you know the moment not just Tottenham fans you know football fans around the world have been waiting for she made her WSL um debut she came um off the bench for Tottenham uh, guys, Liv, I'll come to you first. We've been waiting for this moment, and it was only, I think, I think she came on in the 70th minute, but here she is. Alex Morgan has finally arrived. It was the 69th minute, actually, oh. but I will, <laughs> I will let you off with that. Thanks um, for doing your homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, sometimes I do. Um, it was great to see her. For me, just a bit of an anticlimax, you know. I, I wasn't expecting it because I've, I think I've just been looking the weeks before. We've all been thinking, is it going to be today? It's going to be today. So it kind of almost slipped under the radar. Um, I think she said herself that she's still not at, at her peak performance in terms of her fitness, but it was really encouraging for her to see, well, for us to see her for all of 20 minutes. And, um, you know, they're still hunting for their first win. And I, and I hope that she can help bring that before the year is up because I have a really really strong feeling she will be gone by January. Even though she's said herself she's not 100% match fit, she's going to have to perform in the next month or two, isn't she, Emily? You know, Spurs sitting second bottom, only two points um, on the board so far this season. So they'll be turning to Alex Morgan and wanting to make the most of her while she's there. 100% Sean Ed and the, the fact that they go to Bristol City next weekend as well is huge because you think if they could win that it's obviously pretty significant pulls them a little bit clear and, and hopefully gives them that confidence boost and 
And as you say, actually, the fact that she may be gone in January, if she were able to to really pull them clear and, and help them climb the table and were to leave, then I, a lot of people, I guess, would argue that that's a job well done. And to anyone who hasn't seen the um, the picture of her and her daughter after the game, it's the cutest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Andrew, sorry, did you want to um, make a point there? I, yeah, I, not about the picture. I was, uh, yeah, I was just going to say beyond that uh, that Bristol City game, um, I think they've got two home games in the WSL against uh, Brighton and Villa. Um, so if Spurs can gain some confidence from that Bristol City game, um, then obviously with Alex Morgan getting fitter and fitter by the by the day. Um, then there's opportunities there for points for them as well. Obviously, they've just come off that, aside from the Reading game, they've just come back off that run of, you know, playing Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City, Everton. So it's been a tough old start for Spurs um, and a lack of goals, which has been the, the, the real concern. But I do think that if they can get something against, uh, obviously, a Bristol City side who are not at their uh, sharpest and haven't been doing well all season, the opportunities there, Brighton, Villa, before they uh, go to Chelsea before Christmas. So, um, there are there is opportunities there for Spurs to climb the table and for Alex Morgan to make an impact. Definitely a crucial few weeks coming up for Tottenham. And yes, that game against Bristol next weekend will be massive. So looking forward to seeing what happens there. Um, well, Spurs did briefly leapfrog West Ham for 24 hours, but the Hammers moved up to ninth with a 2-1 win over Birmingham City. Emily Van Egmond's second half header and West Ham United, their first win of the WSL season as Claudia Walker went from hero to villain for Birmingham City. Walker had put the Blues ahead when she got in behind the Hammers' defence to slot on her fourth in five WSL games. Sarah Mailing hit the post as Blues chased a second, but Walker's header... Um, into her own net level before the break. Van Egmond then sealed um, three points. Uh, Emily, finally also a win for Villa. 2-0 at Brighton. You must be delighted. Oh, yeah, absolutely made up for them. It's taken a little bit of time, I think, since they started. But no, really, really pleased for them because it's obviously been a really difficult few weeks in that they've had their own, obviously, COVID issues, meaning they couldn't play. But yeah... You know, from what I've seen, what I've read, what I've heard, you know, an assured win. Didn't have it way, but kept tight when they needed to. Really, really good away performance and, and absolutely delighted for them. And another mouth-watering tie coming up this weekend as well. We've mentioned the Manchester derby, but there's also a derby class between Birmingham and Villa this weekend. Andrew, this next weekend's going to be busy. It's going to be exciting, isn't it? It is going to be Excellent. And I will declare an interest as an Aston Villa fan that uh, the, a second city, there's nothing quite like a second city derby. You can keep your Liverpool Everton, you can keep your Man United, Man City, you can keep Arsenal, Tottenham. Uh, there's nothing quite like a second city derby as, a, as an Aston Villa fan. So, uh, yeah, so I'm going to break all uh, of our podcast impartiality rules. I think Liv has already done that with her Bristol City comments. But uh, um, I will say, come on the Villa for up the Villa for, 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 for the game against the Blues. You've obviously never Who seen I a won't call. Cardiff derby. <laughs> yeah, the old seven side. I think, um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I won't call them Small Heath for now. I think I'll keep that. Uh, that uh, I'll, keep, I'll call them the call them the Blues. Give them the respect they deserve ahead of the weekend, just in case. Just in case it all goes wrong for Villa. 
Well, a very exciting weekend in the WSL coming up for sure. And of course, it is women's football weekend. So we'll be across all the action over the weekend and we'll be dissecting everything in next week's episode. You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel. I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply... quick reply, affects your concentration, and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving, you're four times more likely to crash. Think. Put your phone away. Well, guys, it's time we move on to talk about the championship. Um, now, Durham, they stay top of the championship, only just as Bridget Galloway's last-minute equaliser against Charlton sees their unbeaten record continue. Um, it was scenes all around, even you know the goalkeeper was joining in in the celebrations. Um, they were obviously absolutely delighted. Um, they have a bit of a surprising result, this one maybe, as Charlton haven't pulled up any trees so far this season usually i would agree with you but this is the championship and as we've been seeing over the last few weeks anything is going literally uh just across all of the results for instance you know leicester city got pumped last week 4-1 against the uh, london city lionesses and then bring a win this week you know i i just can't keep up with this league at all it's just so open i feel like you know, we can't even look at who is top and who is bottom to determine who will win that result. You know, this is definitely a very competitive and tough league to grind out results. And, you know, again, it is two points lost for Durham, but they, they still remain unbeaten. So considering they scored so last minute, I think they would have been happy with the draw. Yeah, definitely. Um, it turned out to be a vital point as the top of the table clash between Liverpool and Sheffield United went the way of the Reds. A fantastic solo effort early on from Risolo Babajide saw them win 1-0 against Sheffield United. She picked up the ball 25 yards out, weaved past four players and slotted it home. Also down in the East Midlands, Paige Bailey-Gale scored the only goal for Leicester as they bounced back from defeat last weekend to defeat Lewis, also by a goal to nil. Uh, Andrew Lives just touched on it. It's a really topsy-turvy league at the moment, isn't it? The championship, it's really difficult to call, but it's entertaining and it's fantastic to see. Yeah, I mean, we all, we pretty much say this every week and, and this is the, the the point, isn't it? Is that the, the, the eventually you'd imagine, uh, you know, a team or two will emerge from the pack. But at the moment, with the results all kind of contradicting each other in a, in a way, teams picking up points, dropping points the next week, you know, you can't um, second-guess anything. And at the moment, one point separates those top four positions. Um, no team is having it all their own way. There is obviously leagues within leagues in, in the championship. You know, there are the haves and the have-nots. You know, but there are also sides who can who can upset the apple cart. You know, as we saw with Charlton getting a, a draw a, a, against Durham, there, you know, there's potential for. I mean, I think Lewis is always a team that can nick a result here and there against uh, you know the the the, the bigger sides. Um, London City Lionesses are always a little bit of a wild card in the sense that they've obviously got ambitions to be in and amongst the top uh, positions, um, but obviously have been through some you know coaching difficulties in the last sort of twelve months or so. So. It's that league will sort itself out, but I tell you what, it won't become obvious for a lot longer yet. I wouldn't be, wouldn't think anyway. 
Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Andrew. Um, the other games in the championship saw Crystal Palace in their first home win of the season with a 3-1 victory over Coventry United. And Blackburn had a good home win against London Bees. And joining us now about the game is freelance journalist and good friend of the podcast, Chris Pratt. Good to have you back, Chris. And tell us about the game. It sounded like um, a pretty dominant display by Blackburn. It was good to be back as well. Um, yeah, it was a dominant display and it was played in awful conditions. I don't know what the conditions were like everywhere else, but it was almost first half, it wasn't raining. Second half, there was a downpour. <laughs> and I tell you what, um, Blackburn Rovers coped with it um, much better. Uh, fantastic performance by a lot of their players. Standout performances by Elise Hughes, who's on loan, on loan from Everton. And also Ali Johnson, who's just recently signed from um, Sheffield United. She started her career at Blackburn Rovers and she's she's back there now. And she was absolutely fantastic yesterday. And it was a, a well-deserved three points yesterday. And in terms of London Bees, can you reflect on their performance? Um, what were they lacking in that game, perhaps? Yeah, well, I thought they did all right in the first half. It was a really tight game, and I was—I uh, remarked to some of my, my colleagues in the uh, in the press area that uh, that it, it, you know it, it could have gone either way. Yet I spoke to the keeper and captain Sarah Quantrill at the end of the game, and I said to her, "I said, look, it was all right first half, wasn't it?" And she said, "No, we were awful, <laughs> absolutely terrible." And we discussed that at half time, but I thought they were okay, and obviously they're. You know, they're not doing very well this season in where the league position is. They've won the last two games in all competitions and they were, they were going for a third. And I thought they were, they were OK, but um, I think conceding the goal on half an hour, they really did struggle to get back. In their defence, the second goal, the penalty that um, Elise Hughes converted was a bit of a ropey one, I think. I think Evie Game was a little bit unlucky to have been a judge to have fouled uh, Emma Doyle and, and that was game over as soon as that went in. Thanks, Chris. And next weekend, are you anywhere? Where are you? Are you on your travels next weekend again? Well, do you know what? I don't know. I only found out find out on about Tuesday, so it's like a, it's a lucky dip. So it's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I could be anywhere, anywhere around the northwest. <laughs> the suspense is killing us. Well, Chris, hopefully we'll get you back soon um, to get some more analysis and chat about the games. We'll keep up with Chris's travels across the country and the various games that you're at. But thanks for your time. Thanks for popping on. Thanks very much. Keep up the good work, guys. So as we know, England are by now in a second lockdown um, for a month. So the WSL and the Championship are able to continue as both leagues are classed as elite. Non-elite sports, however, cannot continue, which means that the National League has been paused for now, along with the FA Cup. Um, the first round was due to take place um, this coming weekend. There's been a lot of talk in the media. Um, talked about Casey Stoney at the start of the podcast. She's been very vocal in the press in terms of um, the fact that grassroots sport for girls um, haven't been able to um, to continue. You know, the lower age groups, however, the boys clubs have been able to continue. So we mentioned that you know there's been it's been a bit of a messy week really in terms of decisions and knowing exactly what's allowed to continue and what's not. Um, Andrew, obviously, we know you're heavily involved um, in the National League. Can you just give us your thoughts on it and, you know, where do you stand on these decisions? Yeah, I mean, obviously, everybody wants to be playing football, don't they? But I think at the, the heart of it is 
a decision to try and uh, keep people safe, essentially. Um, what's quite interesting is when it comes to the sort of elite, non-elite, et cetera, et cetera, um, there, were, there were two separate decisions made with both lockdowns, if you like, or pre and post maybe the first lockdown, because elite football was there was a there was a term there was a def- definition of elite football um, because that football had to stop for the first lockdown because mm-hmm. obviously that was the, the the level where you were getting the, the 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 large number of crowds and you couldn't keep people contained um, whereas non elite football was allowed to continue um, for a short period until the actual lockdown covered everybody we couldn't go out so football everywhere was 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 uh, you know the grassroots was allowed to continue very briefly and that's why you saw some national league clubs. And uh, in the men's game and indeed some uh, feeder league clubs in the men's game get uh, bigger crowds in that final week before lockdown. And then afterwards, when football was, you know, people were talking about bringing top flight football back in, in the men's game. The elite definition then sort of was uh, all about bringing football back and that grassroots had to stop. Oh, you know, so it's, it's all been a little bit unclear and a little bit messy. Um, as far as this current situation is concerned, obviously it's about access to potential access to testing and uh, things like that. You know, in the Super League and the Championship, I think have been given some money to, to enable teams to do that. So beyond that, teams just won't have the resources to do it, and it is a huge shame. The Casey Stoney thing is an interesting one because obviously she's been vo- quite vocal on it, and uh, rightly so. And I think a lot of people are saying, "Well, what about you know academies?" What she's decided to do, I think, is call up a few youth academy players into the first team set up to allow them to continue to train only up to the maximum number allowed. So there are, you know, people will choose to try and get ways around it and things like that. Um, As far as the National League is concerned, it's frustrating because obviously the season was curtailed. Last season was curtailed in, in, in March. And I think there are still and the season was the start of the season was delayed. So some teams have only played a few games, I think particularly down in the lower divisions of the National League because there's been, they've been involved earlier in the FA Cup. Um, the National League teams in the Southern and Northern Premier Divisions don't enter the FA Cup until the second round stage at the end of the month. We're in the first round stage this weekend, or we would be otherwise. Um, there's only actually uh, 12 fixtures in the uh, first round of the, the FA Cup. And there are still actually some third qualifying round matches still to be completed what with postponements and I think this will be the other frustrating thing for for people is that we're at the time of year now where when it restarts again you'll find teams unable to get pitches ready um, particularly at the lower end of the pyramid Um, you know there'll be washouts and things and teams will be playing catch-up I mean you look at Portsmouth last season and they had problems with their home pitch and they'd only played about five or six league games by the time uh, you know it was all curtailed um, if they'd have been able to play out the season, they'd have been playing Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, probably to try and get everything in. Um, so it's going to make for it's and it's also going to make in terms of the youth fixtures across the country, it's going to make for those uh, double headers that we always seem to get in March and April time. So, yeah, at the end of the day, government guidance is government guidance for a reason whether you want to agree or disagree with it um if the majority of people stick to it the belief is that it will improve the situation at the very least i mean people say lockdowns don't don't solve anything per se they don't but they do buy people time um and i think the welsh government having come out of uh, their uh, fire break uh, this week are saying you know we think that it's given us it's bought us a bit of time to get things done 
in the meantime. Um, so, and of course, as we speak uh, on this podcast recorded on Monday afternoon, there's been some talk of um, a vaccine doing well in trials as well. So we might be out of this nightmare sooner than we think, but who knows? Emily, Andrew, there mentioned about the FA Cup. How much of a blow is it that the Women's FA Cup isn't able to continue? And again, you know, there was um, a lot of talk on social media in terms of, well, the men's FA Cup is allowed to continue, but the women's isn't. Obviously, we understand, um, like Andrew said, you know, government rules are government rules and they're there for a reason. How much of a blow will that be to the women's game in, in England? I think anything like this does cause a lot of conversation on social media. Naturally, you get the comparisons. The men's can continue. Why can't the women's? But I think it's still important to take stock and and remember where we are, the situation we're in. As Andrew alluded to there, in terms of the elite sport definition, um, obviously the top two women's leagues contest, etc., which makes it a bit different. Appreciate that's not the case in the FA Cup, in the lower echelons, the men's game. So, I know it's quite conflicted, but I think it's important to remember that these decisions aren't just made on a whim. There's a lot of consideration. There's a lot of evidence that's considered. The guidelines are, are assessed with an absolute tooth comb. So I think it's one of those situations where I can understand there's a bit of a backlash and, and you know, it is disappointing. It is a shame, but ultimately it's done within the best interests of, of all the players, all the staff and ultimately supporters moving forward. Hmm. And before we finish as well, we had Helen Ward on um, on last week's episode. She um, came out this week and obviously Watford are in the second division. They're not classed as elite, so they aren't playing at the moment. Whereas you had Helen Ward who played who played for Wales in a European qualifier um, was it last week or the week before. And now all of a sudden she's told, sorry, you're not an elite player you won't be playing any games for the foreseeable. She said on the podcast that um, their last game could potentially be the last game they play in 2020. Liv, it's, um, yeah, I guess it's it's easy to forget mentally how tough this might be for players, especially given Helen Ward's situation. You know, she's fantastic on the pod and, you know, to go from representing your country in a European qualifier to all of a sudden being told you're not allowed to play any competitive football anymore. That must be really tough for players. I think it's a massive kick in the face what's going on at the moment. Um, I'm probably a bit irrational with my thoughts with it. I think it's purely disgusting. Um, I think about, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was nine years old and I was at school, all I wanted to do was play football. And I remember my teacher saying I wasn't allowed because I wasn't a boy. And if I could look back on my nine-year-old self now and tell her, you still can't play, but these boys can play. It's just so wrong. Like for me, it really upsets me because it's not just, you know, the Helen Moores who has made a career of herself. It's those girls that want to have that career. You know, what are their parents going to be saying to them that you're not good enough, but your brother who plays in the under 15s, he, he is because he's elite. That's my issue with it all at the moment. It's so blurred lines. It's so like one rule fits one, but one rule fits another. Um, Helen will be disappointed I'm disappointed as a female like and I don't want to play that card but it's just so tough like just so tough in sport mm. I think yeah. I would agree with you Liv actually I think um, uh, the difficulty you know it's it's the difference between the 
essentially between the what's put around the 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 the, the boys and the men at the, at the at the clubs and what is around them in the women's section um and you know there's obviously that academization at very top of the men's game um the definitions yeah of the the academy definitions is is, is even in the women's game for that matter and and whether they allow them, whether a class is elite or otherwise is a very yeah it's like you say it's very blurred and very difficult to understand obviously in terms of the men's fa cup for example i think they took the decision that they couldn't have some of the games postponed and not you know when most of the teams could take to, could take part because otherwise you end up with the bunching of the games of the rounds coming close together whereas the women's fa cup none of the teams are classed elite i think if the championship were involved in those uh and the super league teams were involved in those games we'd have seen something probably similar but who knows um it's very frustrating i think Liv, you're right it's those it's when you do get that stark comparison um i mean even you know like you say just over the border for example wales and england you've got one team who can play now and one team who can't you know it's 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 when you get those split decisions we're not going to go go into it politically but i do think that that it is tough. It must be tough mentally for players to, especially as I said, that they've only just started nationally. The, the season doesn't feel like it's been going on that long. It's been going on a couple of months. But for some players, especially in the Championship or Premier League, uh, Super League, who have been playing international football and been all, they've been there and then they've been away and then they come back again, it must feel like a, just a stop-start all the time and there's no rhythm to it. And, you know, it is going to be... You know, unfortunately, it's looking like it's going to be a little bit of a wasted season. And when your career lasts 15 years, if you're lucky, some, you know, at the top level, you know, you might spend, you might work your way up. You might only have five years at the very top level. Mm. Um, a wasted season. That's, that's, that's not right. Not, not good at all, but mm. it is what it is. But have any of the women's Super League players, has anyone said anything about it? You know, they were quick to come out with the whole, we stand with you, we'll, we'll give to the NHS and stuff. But what about the grassroots that need the extra funding at the moment? That You know, where are they now? Yeah, and of course, the the, the thing is that, you know, the, the Super League and the Championship has had to sort of take on money, you know, from other places as well. And, and it took a little bit of time for the Premier League and the FA to support clubs below the Football League in the men's game and... and support the women's structure full stop. And I think that's um, an area that needs improving. I think they did, I think, I think seem to remember the Premier League said they were going to meet to decide what would happen in the event of COVID wiping out the season at a certain point. I think what it needs is also hard and fast rules on when support is given, who it's given to, how much it's, how much is given and, you know, who's responsible for it rather than that you have this, you have that you end up having this sort of rather, um, you almost end up with this begging bowl situation, don't you, where clubs and leagues and FAs and county FAs and everything go to, you know, make public statements saying we need government or we need the Premier League or we need the FA to financially support this, that and the other. And it's quite unseemly. Whereas mm-hmm. I think if the fo- if the football community just pulled together and just said, look, the future Premier League or future WSL stars are those who are currently playing in the National League in either men's or women's football we've got to accept that, you know, this is part of the structure. We're not just selfishly looking after our own. We need to 
engender this community spirit in amongst the football fraternity and say, actually, these, these teams and these clubs in both men's and women's football at the lower levels in grassroots need supporting through the toughest of, of, of times, because that's essentially where we will get some of our players from in the future. That's it. Exactly that. I'm shaking. I've re- this, this makes me so angry. Yeah, no, some really interesting um, points made there. And I think the general consensus is that um, there just needs to be a bit more COVID clarity, perhaps, in the women's game, um, you know, right from the top to the bottom. Like we mentioned, the, um, the Bristol City-Man City game, an example right at the top of the women's game of um, decisions perhaps not being very clear. And like we've mentioned, you know, it, it's steeped through right all the way down to grassroots level. Um, but yeah, hopefully this won't last very long. And in a few weeks or a few months, um, there will be some clarity and um, things will be looking much better than they are at the moment. Um, well, guys, that's it. We've had, we've discussed a lot this week. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Um, and just briefly, like we've mentioned, a very busy weekend in the WSL. It's Women's Football Weekend. Um, and every single fixture will be available to watch in some shape or form. So Man United versus Manchester City will be on BT Sport. Aston Villa v Birmingham will be available on the FA Player. Everton v Reading will be on the BBC Red Button. Bristol City versus Spurs will also be on the FA Player. Those are all happening on the Saturday. And then on the Sunday, West Ham v Brighton on the FA Player. Arsenal v Chelsea live on BT Sport. Thank you, Andrew, for doing his homework and getting all those fixtures for us. Well, Andrew, Liv and Emily, thank you very, very much for joining me. And of course, we'll be on social media. So make sure that you follow us um, on that. And our producer, Luke, will be chatting with Tasha Flint on Instagram. He'll be doing an Instagram live with her tomorrow at 3.45. So that's on Tuesday. Um, So tune in to that if you wish to do so. And that's it for this week. And we'll be back next week. 